Welcome to the Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Grant Smith from the Australian National University's Department of Pacific Affairs, and I'm joined by my co-host Louisa Lim, a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne, who's currently a writer in residence at the Journalism and Media Studies Centre of Hong Kong University. This month, we're coming to you from their studios. As always, we're on air thanks to support from the ANU Centre on China and the World and the Department of Pacific Affairs. The Chinese government sees its social credit system as nothing less than a magic bullet, according to a recent report by the Mercator Institute. It sees the social credit system as solving a range of social and economic problems, from assessing citizens' creditworthiness to food security. The social credit system, often compared to an episode of Black Mirror, allows the authorities to have a nationwide database that tracks citizens to rank their trustworthiness and credibility, and then rewards or penalizes them according to their behavior. By 2020, that's next year, it's due to be rolled out. The original blueprint said that the system should quote allow the trustworthy to benefit wherever they go, while making it difficult for the discredited to take a single step. The scheme is at a pilot stage, but aspects of it are already being applied nationwide. To make sense of where this all might be heading in Xi Jinping's new era, we're joined by Gladys Pakley Jong and David Kurt Herald of Hong Kong Baptist University. Gladys and David, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. So, I mean, let's start with the fact that this is all supposed to happen next year. I mean, Gladys, you've written that it will rank tax evasion, criminal records, traffic offences, family background, marriage records, all in one database. Is that what has been happening in the pilot schemes? Well,、um, I research on the Alipay social credit system, but in fact, they have given out the license to eight different companies, and I also think that. Individual cities or small provincial cities, they have their own system too. So right now, I think they are still trying to test the system. It's not quite one centralized yet. But Alipay, because its connections with other official organizations, it sort of gets certain data from the governments、um, because its wide popularity in payment system. So right now, it gets most attentions. David, the point that you have been making is that the private sector plays a much larger role than people have understood. I mean, how do these pilot schemes? How do they actually work in practice? Who's in charge? Well, the original thought was that as of 2016, several private companies and several municipalities should run their own miniature credit systems to see what would work, what wouldn't work. And to establish procedures as for not only、um, how to keep a database, but also who gets to access the database, who gets to change the database, and so on, and what sort of rewards and punishments follow from this database.、Mm-hmm. And the problem is that the implementation has been very uneven. The most successful trials have been run in a small township called Rongcheng and in the city of Shanghai. And then in the aforementioned Alipay or Alibaba social credit system, which runs under the name of Sesame Credit System, and that's nationwide. Well,、yeah. this is nationwide through Alibaba's payment system, because、mm-hmm. in China almost everybody is linked to Taobao, the the Chinese version of eBay, and anybody who has an account on Taobao automatically gets an account with Alipay as well, which is one of the daughter companies. 
And in this way, then, they're also already tied into the social credit system that Alibaba as a private company is running. My understanding is not uh, directly to Taobao, but anyone with the app, the M financial apps of Alipay, then they will have accounts. But according to Alipay, they said that you only have the Samsung credit if you agree to uh, click the button. Some people said that they don't even know that exists. But then, of course, the app itself has calculated the social credit for everyone, but just whether you use it or not, individual use it or not. Yeah. Well, yeah, to actually access your own social credit and to know what it is, yeah, you then have to click agree and stuff. But yeah. uh, Alibaba has made no secret that it is collecting the data, yeah. and they are rating the data and then collating the data with other sources um, that they have. For example, with the new nationwide credit database, especially the yeah. bad credit base, um, then with the new national blacklist um, mm -hmm. that's received lots of press recently. Um, it's also tied into a number of other businesses that have taken this up. For example, banks have taken this up and then shared data with Alibaba. Um, mm -hmm. The health service has taken up this data and then shared their own data with Alibaba. And at the far end, there's sort of online dating sites and online dating apps <laughs> that... Um, yeah have taken this up very enthusiastically and are actually saying that they're matching people up based on their Sesame credit scores. No! Right. Yeah. But, well, that's wonderful. I mean, you could match the people <coughs> with bad scores up uh, with the other people with bad scores. Yeah, but that's exactly the problem. Because in that I'm, I'm way, joking. That's, that sounds terrible. Because in that way, you, essentially, you marginalise anybody with a bad social credit score. Yes. And that's sort of the big danger of this whole system, mm. that mm. in a way... Before the government ever needs to get involved with anybody, um, they will have lost all their friends and connections already. It suddenly reminds me of the five stinking black categories in the Cultural Revolution, right? Is this what we're going to see, that the, the new stinking black are actually people with sort of <coughs> poor credit ratings? Well, the, I, I would see it the other way around. I would turn this inside out, more or less, because when people use an online dating site. They want to trust the information they get. They want somebody they can trust before they ever really hook up with somebody or, God forbid, actually meet that person in real life. And this is something worldwide in a way. So these people are all fairly glad that something like Sesame Credit exists and that Sesame Credit is used in this way. I think focusing just on the people who will get a bad credit score doesn't really quite capture why so many people are in favor of it? Um, during the interviews with uh, informants, <clears throat> hmm. a lot of them, they don't really use it for the, for my own uh, research, huh? they don't use it for dating app, or they will have their separate app to do that. Okay. I did my uh, research mainly in Beijing. I focused on the uh, post-80s, post-90s. Who are um, already using, who are already... Yeah, using. Alipay. So they're the cashless uh, generations. They don't use cash. They only use Alipay and WeChat. Um, they trust Alipay in that sense uh, they, because they never lose money. They put their money and everything, all the transactions through Alipay. From my experience is that they use it to get the incentive. At this moment, they're still looking at each other's score and they're all quite high. Uh, I haven't met someone over 800, but most, mostly they are between 700 to 799 around this range. Um, they use it for getting convenience, getting rewards. In, in, in a way, it's basically like a gamification of social life. Um, anything you do in social life can get you points. And you can earn more points and you can get rewards for that. Be it you don't have to do a down payment for renting a flat. 
same thing for not having to put down a deposit for buying a car or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, there have been cases where people got preferential treatment at airports and stuff, mm -hmm. depending on their social credit score. Basically, things like this that um, make your life better. Lifestyle awards for just living your life. Yeah. And at the same time, um, Alibaba gets to keep all the data on you. Yeah. So, I mean, you are making it sound like a kind of upscale credit card point yes. system. Loyalty program. Loyalty yes. pro program. But, there, I mean, there's a definite downside to it. And mm -hmm. there was a very interesting piece that ran on NPR's The Indicator. Well, they spoke to a man in Shanxi in a town where they're having a pilot scheme. They called this man Lao Duan. And Laudwan was speaking about his own experience. He had been in the coal industry. He'd lost a lot of money mm -hmm. and had been unable to pay back his debts. He'd found out he was on the credit blacklist when he tried to buy a train ticket and he was stopped from buying a train ticket. Mm -hmm. The next thing he knew, his bank accounts were frozen. He was unable to uh, use his credit card. And then he talked about this one day when he was driving through town and he saw his face on a massive electronic mm -hmm. billboard. It's a big electric screen. By the side of a big plaza, there are like huge screens and they're very eye-catching. You can really see them from afar. And I saw my, my pictures on that screen, my picture from my ID card and my ID card number and my name. The billboard said, this man is untrustworthy. Laudwan says these billboards are all over town. He says whenever he went out, whenever he'd see the billboard, he would just stop and kind of watch it for a while, scrolling through the untrustworthies, waiting How to see if his face would come that up. People are seeing their faces, their names, their ID cards with the words untrustworthy stamped across it all across town. This is actually not even the worst of it. There's quite a few cities where they're running similar things, um, even for jaywalking or something. So mm -hmm. if you cross the road at a red light, your face will be on a big screen on the other side of that street with your name attached and your ID number and everything. There's also the case of people who didn't pay back bank loans. Um, the banks hacked into their mobile phones and changed their ringtones. So the next time their phone rang, um, the phone announced, this is a credit cheat, this is a credit cheat. Um, <laughs> this, this all exists, yes, and this is all part of this system. Um, but this is why I sort of, in a way, talk about gamification. You do get rewards for good behavior, and you get punishment for bad behavior. The punishments are very different from what we might find acceptable, yes, and they're very invasive and can be degrading and cause real problems for people. But you should try talking to somebody in Australia or in uh, Europe, for that matter, who's managed to get a bad credit report and is unable to essentially get a credit card, is unable to get a mortgage or anything else, um, simply because of bad credit report. And their life suddenly turns really, really bad uh, in so many ways. This is at the heart of, of this whole system. The, the social credit system was created to provide a framework in which trust in society, trust in others in society can be fostered. And we're not talking about a society where everybody loves each other and everybody um, trusts each other fully. The one problem that has been constant in Chinese history is that people do not trust others. Mm -hmm. 
people do not trust strangers, and since the Cultural Revolution, people don't even trust their own family members. Now, in that situation, where you do not have even basic levels of trust, how do you make a decision to give somebody a loan? How do you make a decision to hand over the keys to a rental car um, to some stranger who walks in on the street? The system was conceived of to address this problem, not really to sort of ensure that everybody behaves properly or something. This is sort of something that's a bit of an add-on, and I'm not sure that all of the social implications of this will really survive at a national level. But the problem really is that we essentially do not know how much of what is currently in place will survive and how much of what is currently in place is private enterprise, how much of that is government, where are the links, we essentially don't know. There's definitely carrots and sticks through through the system and, and we're hearing about plenty of sticks and it seems that there are more sticks being handed out. Um, in, in February the numbers came out um, that 17.5 million people uh, were now on no-fly lists as a result of poor credit ratings. 5.5 million people banned from high-speed trains and luxury hotels. And in some ways this system seems to be working because 3.5 million untrustworthy individuals and companies uh, repaid their debts or fines last year as a result of this sort of pressure. And local governments, um, not just companies, are being encouraged to come up with innovative practices. So a question for you, Gladys. Why are people so willing to opt in? Like, Why don't they choose to, to opt out of this service? Why are they willing to, in a way, subject themselves um, to forms of surveillance? The news going around is, is so damaging, yeah? And you get categorised and you get your hands tied if you don't do well. People, because of lack of social trust, the erosion of social trust, people use it, embrace it. They actually like the idea people get punished because they're untrustworthy. <laughs> My, well, what strikes me most is people don't see that as surveillance. Yeah, even they say that, okay, yeah, they know me, but why me? You know, there are so many people out there, and more, even more extraordinary people, people more eye-catching. They don't even get uh, checked by the government. Why me? So that idea goes around. So there are uh, 1.4 billion of people in China, and they will ask, like, well, okay, you get my data, you get where, where did I buy vegetable? So what can you do with that? People cannot imagine yet, like, how their data would be used. So therefore, they think that, okay, you want to know, I will let you know, but it doesn't harm me, it doesn't hurt me yet. So they didn't know, well, my informants at least didn't know what kind of impacts will be created. Mm. Yeah. And, and you write about it being kind of seductive. So yeah. what, what sort of things are being built into these apps to seduce people into using them? Uh, all kind of convenience, easy to use, and the kind of rewards you can get. And monetary terms, like if you don't need to give a money first, you can get the service, get the goods. Uh, you give out less, but you receive more. I think that is the first drive. And second drive, like uh, David said, gamified elements, like it's playfulness. It seems downplay all the serious, the heavy political stuff, all the mistrust in the society, all these things are not mentioned. It's not there. You don't see it in your daily life. What you see is this kind of like ah, something cheerful, easy to use, and I can connect with everything, friends, society, people, strangers. Yeah, we can connect. If you trick me, I can trace you back and I can complain and then I can get the things back. So it's much more reliable. Um, when you talk about the gamification, it brings to mind the new Xi Jinping app, the mm -hmm. study Xi Jinping thought app that it appears from reports uh, is being 
introduced into certain, you know, work units as part of people's, you know, job requirements. Is that kind of being integrated into these credit systems as well? The study app is only for party members. Party members have to prove their loyalty that way at the moment, and for them it's required. It's not work unit; it's party. Okay. Uh, so but party but members have to do this. Can anyone download it? Or? Yeah, anyone can download, but for party members, the, the scores then go to Party Central and stuff. Is it but linked? No, it, it's not linked to the social credit system as such. No, but then uh, there are reports saying that people who download it and try to log in and register, they immediately know the kind of phone mm. uh, she was using. And then the kind of name she registered for that phone, yeah, yeah. and then connect back to Ding Ding Alibaba's app, the enterprise app, and also the other apps with the names and all the well, kind of. The、concept. thing is, Alibaba is running the the backbone for this as well.、Um, so because they're running the the databases for most of them, the app as such is meant for party members to show their loyalty to Xi Jinping. There's even sort of several reports、uh, that、um, people online have called this sort of the. Digital culture revolution now, and things like that, because it's really party internal rather than external, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and party members then have to prove sort of that they're worth it. I mean, the wife of one of my former students,、uh, she is a party member, and she actually has to watch videos of Xi Jinping、mm-hmm. talking every day to sort of collect points in this stuff and so、mm-hmm. on.、Um, and there's now ways around this as well, where she essentially just starts a video and then puts her phone on the table、mm-hmm. and walks away. <laughs> But、um, they're already saying that、um, in the next iteration of that app, the camera will probably be activated as well to make sure that you actually、oh. look at this, similar to sort of、wow. Apple's Face ID login that knows、mm-hmm. whether you're paying attention to the screen or not. So it will track、uh, your eyeballs to see that you're focusing. But you're paying, paying but attention, yeah.、Uh, <laughs> yeah, but with Alipay, they already have this function、yeah. because I know that the、uh, informants they change phone, they have to do the facial recognition. So. If Alipay or if Alibaba is connected to that app, they already know who you are when you register. They already know. It's just a matter of making it public.、Yeah. But then there was this really interesting article in the South China Morning Post by Nectar Gan about Rongcheng in Shandong, and it described the back end of how the incentivization happens at a local level. And basically, there's like a middle-aged lady who's just wandering around the village, marking on a piece of paper who picked up. Rubbish and who installed a basketball hoop in the village,、mm. and giving out points and、yeah. writing it on a bulletin board and adding little stars and flags by people's names, and I mean it was kind of a bit like Lei Feng meets Black Mirror. You know, it seems like really high tech and really low tech at the same time. This is sort of where the system is very complicated at the moment because Rongcheng was given permission to run a trial of a、mm-hmm. social credit system. But their system is not connected to anything else. They have their own local system, and that is all paper-based. So it's not tied into any electronics. It's not tied into any apps or anything. So yeah, they have <laughs> old women, old guys, basically scoring people,、um, like in the good old days or bad old days, depending on how you see this.、Um, I loved also the quote they had in an article about this, where they said Rongcheng was now the one city in China where car drivers slowed down for pedestrians. <laughs> Because、um, the pedestrians otherwise could simply file a complaint about them, and、um, ultimately, for example, taxi drivers actually lost their license to drive taxis、um, based on feedback by pedestrians. And、um, one of my students has actually just come back from southwestern Yunnan, where they have a similar trial running、um, at the airport of Liangshan. 
where they have a big blackboard next to the entrance of the airport on which people's names and ID card numbers are listed with offences they've committed and the length of a travel ban. Um, and the offences listed are basically sort of, okay, this guy tried to take a blade onto a plane, and so he's now banned from flying for a year. Um, or that guy didn't pay back his loan or something, and therefore he's banned for six months and, and things like that. And this is basically just, yeah, public shaming. But again, mm -hmm. this is done pen and paper-like or mm. chalk and chalkboard sort of thing. Um, it's not connected to any electronics or any database or anything. Mm. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. No. Not I mean, this for me, this is the fascinating thing about it. Um, a key player in a scheme, if it's going to be nationwide and it's going to cover rural areas as well as urban areas and young people, um, will be these cash-strapped local governments. And they collect so much of the data on, on China's citizens with a pen and paper. Now, many grassroots officials, if they can find a virus-riddled computer in the first place, would barely know how to turn one on. So, I mean, what role do you see these local governments as playing uh, in a nationwide credit scheme? I think they are testing, and if they did it right, and they would be recognised, but if they did it wrong, and then they would just shut it down. When we mention about this kind of discrepancy, right, the gap between the central government, the nationwide uh, social scheme, and the local or different levels of practice, there was another instance uh, going around China. Our student got rejected from entering Peking University because her father had a very bad social credit record. And I talk about this experience, this particular news with informants, young people, they also heard about that. They said, yeah, we all uh, criticized that practice because it was a uh, misstep uh, from the university level because they try to avoid any problem and then they want to show that they could do that. They have this kind of uh, idea behind. But then it got backfired as well. So then it got stopped. So I think um, every failure is a, a step closer to a good one that can really be rolled out nationwide. There's also this to consider. There are lots of trials going on with this, and millions and millions of people's lives are already being impacted by this. But we only know of less than 10 cases where things really went wrong. This is then what the media focuses on, of course. But just think about the scale of this thing and how many cases actually went wrong. Mm. We might not like the outcome, but they're actually doing a pretty good job. And to get back to your question about sort of rural areas and, and sort of the local government not being able to use their computers and being expected now to run this, this is for me actually the biggest fear, because this is the entry point again for Alibaba. And Alibaba is already doing a lot of the outsourced computing for rural areas in China. Um, Alibaba already, for Taobao, set up local internet kiosks where farmer can simply walk up to a normal kiosk and then sell their stuff on Taobao, although they themselves have no computer skills whatsoever. And Alibaba takes care of everything. Mm -hmm. So they have for years established an infrastructure that reaches into almost the furthest corners of China, essentially. And... My fear is that they will actually be in a position to make this sort of system work, not in the sense that you then have sort of this almighty government accessing everything, but even worse, you actually have one company mm -hmm. that knows almost everything about everybody in China. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thing. Mm -hmm. Because Alibaba is not, I mean, yes, they're connected to government, but how much control does government really have over Alibaba? 
I'm also thinking about the cautionary tales we've learnt from Facebook. People's information on Facebook has been used uh, in in the US, in the UK, by other actors. I I mean, do you also, Gladys, see this as a, a weakness, a potential weakness of the system? Yeah, for Alibaba, definitely. That's why they manage the Alipay so well. People talk about or they don't trust Facebook, right? But then, like, even they talk about WeChat is listening to their conversation or checking their conversations, but then they don't have that kind, at least my informants, they don't have that kind of doubt about Alipay, at least. They think that, well, it's just a payment app. It's just a payment app. It doesn't do anything else than knowing me more than that. For me, it's really fascinating. And you look at Baidu and, and no one trusts Baidu. Like, everyone assumes that Baidu is selling their yeah. data. Um, I mean, exactly. Yeah. you mentioned a platform called Dingding that yeah. is also owned by Alibaba, yeah. which in, uh, effectively allows an employer to track where an employee is, yes. how their work is progressing. I mean, surely a platform like that has to be a step too far. Even if you're a bit blasé about privacy, um, having your boss check yes. on you <laughs> in real time, yeah. how, how does that not affect people's trust of Alibaba? One of my questions, people talk and complain about Ding Ding, and they said that, well, my boss is using it, but then he said that we can switch it off. And there are some other small scale, they said, well, we still use it because it's handy to share documents. But then my George people, of course, they know that Ding Ding is a surveillance app, checking your work where you are, you know, being monitored. But with Alipay, it's really quite different. People just use it so long, it becomes a habit. You cannot cut off the habit. It's just there. People almost, yeah, they, they know that there may be certain things they need to think about. But then again, they say, they already know everything of me. I have given out my data and everything. And so far, nothing happened yet. There's astonishingly high rates of support, aren't there, actually, for these schemes. I, I think surveys suggest up to 80% of Chinese citizens are okay with a, a support, a social credit scheme. But I was interested particularly in your respondents who seem to think that actually my work unit already knows everything about me. The party knows everything that it needs to know, so why even bother? Yes, exactly. They think that, well, there's no privacy in the sense. From the moment I was born, everyone knows about my data. I would say that this, the whole system is slightly set in a different framework. Um, the, the comparison between Baidu, say, and, and Alibaba and Alipay is interesting because yeah, Baidu sells your information to others. Alibaba doesn't. Alibaba keeps the information for itself. Mm-hmm. It allows others for a fee to access certain parts of that information, but they keep it. So in a way, they're keeping your privacy to some extent. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible thing because in, in the digital economy, the cliche is that data is the new oil. So mm-hmm. essentially, the more data you have, whether you're sitting on it or not, the more the more power and the more earning potential you have. Um, I mean, thinking, David, think about what's happening in, in Xinjiang where, where citizens are already being forced to give biometric mm-hmm. samples, um, voice samples. They're being surveilled by apps also installed on their phones which track their expenditure and so on. I mean, could this sort of very intrusive totalitarian digital control be seen as, as a form of social credit? Not sure what I would call it social credit, but it's easily imaginable that something like this happens in future. Mm. Um, and, and not just in China, that's the scary thing. There have been plenty of stories of people having to hand over their social media login details at borders in the US and stuff, so that border patrols can actually log into their Facebook accounts and whatnot and check them out. 
for job interviews in the US, it has now become almost standard that people, if they're chosen during the interview, have to hand over their login details for social media to their employer, so that the employer can investigate them from the inside. Sweden has this large-scale experiment where people had a chip implanted mm -hmm. in their hand um, that carries their ID, their credit card information, their health record, their educational mm -hmm. record and stuff, um, and access to bank and stuff, simply because then nobody can steal it. People in Sweden are ecstatic about this, okay? They actually <laughs> love this. They, it's they, a cyborg type thing. Yeah, but lots of people wanted to sign up way more than they had space for or chips for. So um, it's sort of, this is not just something that's happening in China. This is happening around the world at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, China is just, I would say, about five to ten years ahead of everybody else in the game. But everybody else is heading in the same direction. Right. So we recently have heard George Soros talking about the social credit system, and he said it was frightening and abhorrent that it would subordinate the fate of the individual to the interests of the one-party state in ways unprecedented in history. Gladys, do you, do you agree? It's not entirely new, because the credit system already exists before. Like in the US, uh, in UK, in the West, I think the credit system has been known there. Like David has mentioned like in the past, like if you don't pay your debt and the bank would not well, lend you money anymore, it would ruin your life. It happens before, but now it's different. I cannot foresee how big it will be when it becomes reality, how it's going to be like. I can't quite imagine yet because I still see quite a lot of failure at this point. But I mean, mm. and David, I mean, you, you're comparing it to all these other places. But there, there is a difference. These are voluntary schemes. They're schemes in democratic countries with popularly elected governments. Whilst what you're seeing in China is, you know, it's a mandatory scheme. There's no opt-out clause. Surely that changes the whole equation. I'm just not scared of the same things you are scared of at the moment, because in a way, um, as Gladys said earlier, um, that government knows everything about you is a given. And after WikiLeaks and Snowden and stuff, it's a given even in the West that the government knows far more about you than they have any right to know under professed claims to democracy and privacy and stuff. But the scary thing for me, seriously, is a private business having all that information and pushing. I find it scary logging into Google and finding out how much Google knows about me mm. and what I, I do. Yeah. But this is essentially Google with an attitude. And that's why in, in my most recent talks and so on, I, I sort of try to get people away from comparisons to um, George Orwell or something like that. Yeah. What scares me is actually the sci-fi book The Circle by Dave Eggers. His book essentially assumes that you have a company like say Apple, buying up Google and Facebook and eBay and then using all that data to run the country, essentially. Mm. And this is more comparable to what Alibaba is doing at the moment. And if you want even more scary, Alibaba is also um, currently developing this so-called city brain project to run cities better. That's based around um, surveillance cameras, based around the social credit system, based around CCTVs, um, getting up to the second access to all the data that the city has, and then running the city more effectively. And they have been so effective in their hometown of Hangzhou with this, that other cities bought the package of city brain project, not only in China, Kuala Lumpur is being run by Alibaba through the, the City Brain project. And other 
international cities actually want to get on board and want the same thing, giving Alibaba access to data about their citizens, about their streets, the situation of their traffic, everything, essentially. This is a much bigger game than, than any of the, the governments could ever hope to achieve. And this is something that is being exported, isn't it, under the Belt and Road Initiative, This the technology for connected cities? Oh, this predates any of that. Um, Alibaba has developed this as a business package, the City Brain project. And they even have a website where you can sort of look into the details and stuff. And you can purchase, if you're a city, you can purchase this whole product as, as I said, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia's capital, has done. The scary thing is really that other cities are looking into buying into this as well because Alibaba can basically point to the fact that um, street crime goes way down once Alibaba has control over all the CCTV footage and stuff because they can let their algorithms run through this thing. Traffic offences go way down because their computers can analyse um, everything that's happening there. Kuala Lumpur is also very happy with the trial they've run so far. But I mean, just imagine, say... African cities taking this up as well, then other Southeast Asian cities taking this up. And slowly this thing spreads and Alibaba gathers more and more and more and more data on life everywhere. Mm. That's a scary thing, not the Chinese government. I mean, just on, on that question, I mean, have uh, is the Chinese government aware of this, this sort of development, of it being sidelined? And have there been conflicts between commercial actors um, not just Alibaba, but also Tencent, which has their own dog in the race, if you like. Have there been examples of conflict between the government and commercial actors over these massive volumes of data? Well, Alibaba is the darling of the Chinese government. They've always been very well behaved. Tencent started to run a similar sort of trial exercise for the social credit system, mm -hmm. but theirs was stopped. Reasons were never disclosed, but they were not allowed to continue with this. And Tencent has been pulled back a number of times now during the last two years by the Chinese government. Alibaba hasn't, and they have throughout projected their sort of Jack Ma nice guy image. And people trusted Jack Ma, and they still trust the company he built, and so does the government. And in a way, they haven't done anything to go against government interests yet. At the moment, anything they do goes in the same direction that the government would like to see the country go anyway. Mm. how much control the government has or Alibaba has, how much the interlinkage is actually giving each, we don't know. Everybody's speculating, but nobody knows. So Gladys, I'd like to ask you what you see as, you know, the next five, ten years for the social credit scheme. I mean, do you share David's fears, which are quite terrifying, actually, about the, you know, the export of this sort of connected city, connected everything app, or do you fall more along the same lines as your respondents who seem pretty happy with, with the system? Well, in China, I would say that people slowly get more informed about what's going on around the world uh, in the sense of a technology development because there are huge interests in this area. So slowly you see more discussions about protecting privacy. How this will reach out to the social credit system, I think it's not quite there yet, but people can know about it. But then if there is no big scandal, I think people will still participate quite actively in that sense, using still the app. Unlike which people would be more cautious about what they say and more self-censorship in that sense. But in terms of uh, Alipay, nothing big happened. People will still embrace it. As for the 
world beyond China. I also see that Alipay or uh, Alibaba has quite a lot of disappointing encounters. Like, for example, they buy uh, certain companies in Southeast Asia. They try to expand their e-commerce. It's not successful yet, and the expansion of uh, that cashless payment hasn't reached the kind of scale they wanted. Also in Australia, I think they tried. I think two years ago they rolled out all the advertisement in the airport in the cities, but it's not that attractive yet, and people are quite fearful of China, and with the contesting idea about what happened to Huawei and other uh, Chinese company, I think people are getting more. Uh, jumpy, more cautious about using Chinese app or Chinese technology. When they go hidden, like the city bring, yeah, then their people will maybe the city government will uh, will comply with that. But when there are more discussions, more people know about it. I think that there may be more contestations. And、um, city will think that why do I have to share data with you because you're going to use it in China. So they will create certain buffer or obstacles. It wouldn't go that easily. It's still going to happen, but not that easily and not that massive scale. And I just want to ask you on a personal level, though. I mean, you've been doing research on this and studying this. Has that research informed the way that you behave in China? Are you more careful crossing the road and things like that? <laughs> Or、um, yes, I have been doing research since two thousand seven in China.、Um, I. I honestly didn't feel that scared before people watching me. You know, I'm just. I feel like I was quite unrecognizable in the sense. But then, with the technology development, I'm getting a bit more cautious. But then, to some point, also, if I want to continue doing research, I cannot not use certain apps. And I, knowing that they are also being able to monitor what I'm doing, who I'm contacting, what I'm writing. Yeah, that make me quite alert and more careful. But then somehow also struggling. Like for example, I for a long time didn't want to have a Chinese phone number because nowadays you have to use your ID and then post a big photo and taking a picture and then got disseminated from the official site. I didn't want to do it, but then recently I just did that and I just have a phone number and a bank account in China. I cannot go around China without using the phone and also the app because everything is connected now. What about you, David? I mean, are you worried that someone's going to change your ringtone sometime soon to warn people that you're a foreign spy? My first experience with China, sort of、um, looking at stuff, was、um, when I was an undergraduate student at, at Beijing Normal University back in '94 or so,、um, where everybody knew that all the letters coming in. Were read and photocopied by people.、Um, we even had the case of two、um, Scandinavian girls who got letters at the same time from home. Only the problem was、um, the letters were in the other person's <laughs> envelope. Okay, so、um, in, in terms of apps and, and technology, I'm careful anyway. Mostly, I sort of have access to、uh, these kinds of apps through students, essentially. And that allows me to stay away from that. Gladys, David, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. I'm Graham Smith, and you've been listening to the Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. Find us on iTunes, Omni, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was edited by Andy Hazel, with support from the Australian Centre for China and the World. 
Our theme music is by Susie Wilkins, background research by Julia Bergen, and our cartoons and GIFs are courtesy of Seb Danter. Bye for now. Thank you.